Last week, yes, we've, we've continued our study of Romans 8, and we said the overarching uh, theme of Romans 8 would be assurance. He is writing, just as John writes, 1 John, I write these things that you will know. Paul is writing that we could have assurance of who we are and that the reality of Romans 8.1, that there is therefore now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we were in our sins, there was condemnation. Now there is no condemnation. There is a new realm in which we exist as believers. And we said last week that God has given us His Spirit to kill sin. And one of the ways that we sense assurance, excuse me, one of the ways that we sense this and see this assurance is through the killing of sin. That is the work of the Spirit in us. And today we, we build on that. The Spirit was given, again, that, that we would kill sin, that we would crucify sin in line, in light of who we are. And today we see another role of the Spirit, and that is to testify with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. To assure us that we are children of God. And, and you see the main point there on your handout. If you didn't get a handout, there are handouts in the... Fellowship Hall, please feel free to grab one of those. Uh, but the main point is this, being led by the Spirit proves and assures, proves and assures that we are children of God. And this is to be lived out through faith and a willingness, a willingness to suffer for God's glory. The Spirit, the same Spirit that helps us kill sin testifies to our spirit that we are indeed children. And, and the, that's the context Paul is building here in Romans 8. The entire context is not only the assurance of who we are, but living out that assurance. Living out that new realm in which we dwell through Christ. The, a work that Romans 1-7, through 7, a work that the gospel alone has done in us and through us. Visibly expressing that which may be invisible of sorts. And, and being a child of God involves putting to death sin. Why? Because it's contrary to who we are. It's contrary to our nature. It's contrary to that new realm in which we dwell. And, and it's contrary to Christ. There, there is a new realm that in which we dwell. And... and Paul dealt with this in Colossians. Again, the killing of sin, the putting away with sin, what the law could not do, God has done in the Spirit. In Colossians 2, 16-23, Paul deals with this. He says, therefore, because Christ has triumphed over them, because it, our debts have been canceled, he goes into all of that in chapter 2, and he says, therefore, because of who you are in Christ, because of the gospel, because of the sufficiency of the gospel... No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things were a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking their stand on visions they have seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have, here it is, if you have died to Christ, to the elemental principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. But here it is. They are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Those don't, they don't kill sin. Those things do not deal with sin. They don't change the heart. The law itself could not defeat sin. God has done what the law itself could not do. God has given you the spirit to kill sin, to guide and direct, but to kill sin, to test it. But also 
what we get into here is to testify to our spirit who we are in Christ, that we are children. That, that, I hope you see why it's so important that we don't, we talked about this from Ephesians 4, 30 and 1 Thessalonians 5, that we don't grieve, that we don't quench the spirit, that we don't kink that hose, if you will, because that's our power. Not only to kill sin, but today to remind ourselves, to testify to ourselves, to assure us that we are indeed children of God. And, and I, would, I would say that these few verses here that we look at today are, are some of the most important. If we would truly grasp what Paul is saying here today, it will change our lives as believers. That, that as John said, and as we said last week, that the, the, the judge of all the earth has not only declared you innocent, he's declared you to be his son or his daughter. He's not only set you free, he's taken you home to dwell with you, and, and even better than that, in you. And the, the, the context for putting to death sin and putting away the flesh, it's because it's opposed to who you are in Christ as his child. Every single parent in here, I promise you, every single parent in here has, has uh, guidance for their children. And if you said why, it's because that's the way your family does it. It's in line with who they are. And sin is not in line with who you are in Christ. Again, you have been transferred from an old realm into a new realm. Leave that old realm behind. Put on the new self, Paul says. How we do that is by living full, under the control of, under the guidance of, i.e. walking by. That's a, that, that means, when it says that, it means a, a, aligning your entire life by the Spirit. Living in accordance to the Spirit. Opposing anything that is opposed to who you are as a child of God. Uh, anything that opposes, again, the righteous character of your Father, and who, by the way, has credited you with that righteousness. Has put His, has put his seal on you. And sin is, sin is not in accord with that. And again, that's the context. That's the context of what we see in verse 14. Look at it there in Romans 8, 14. For all, he's talking about the Spirit and putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And, and, and he's saying, kill sin or it will kill you. And one of the marks of a believer is that you hate your sin. You're putting to death your sin. And in that context, look what he says. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And that leads us to the first point, building on this proof and assurance and a willingness to suffer, as we said, is our main point. Being led by the Spirit to kill sin is proof of our status as a child of God. Children of God hate their sin. Children of God seek to kill their sin. Children of God align their lives, seek to align their lives by the power of the Spirit to fall under the headship, the lordship, but also the nature and character of their father. And there's a very real possibility here that Paul could be pointing back in a reference to how God led his people in the wilderness. What was the proof that they were his people? He led them by day and night through the wilderness by a cloud and by fire at night. He did that for his children. And you see the reference here. It was proof. The reference here, Paul is saying, in, this, in the very same way God is leading his children today, but he's leading his children today by, the spirit in, by his spirit inside of them. Proof of ownership. Proof of, of sonship. And you see it in your handout, through the Spirit, believers have been given not only a call, but they have been empowered, the empowering, to live a godly life as children of God. Not only has God commanded it, God has empowered it. He said, I'm going to command you to do it, and I'm going to empower you to do it by putting my Spirit in you. 
to not gratify the flesh, to even put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's that transformation. It's a killing of sin in light of who you are as a child of God, putting to death the deeds of the body. That's, what, that's primarily what the Spirit leads and guides to do, to kill sin and to assure you of who you are in Christ. Listen, that is not how we tend to emphasize His leading today. We want him to lead us to find a spouse. We want him to lead us to find a home and a neighborhood and a career and a college. It's not that God can't guide in that. It's not that God doesn't want to guide in that. That's not the context here, and that's not primarily why God gave you the Spirit for you to find the right house, to find the right car. What shoes should I wear with this outfit? That's not why God gave the Spirit. And in most of those cases, again, we live in isolation of the Spirit, but then when it comes to these quote-unquote big decisions, we want the Spirit to help us so that we would look smart, so that we look holy. It's about us. It has nothing to do with sin. That's not why God gave the Spirit. God gave the Spirit to guide you to crucify sin, to guide you to kill sin, to guide you to understand the Scriptures, to interpret the Scriptures, to guide you to transform, to see your life transform from the old self to the new. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. And you see it on your handout. What Paul teaches us here in Romans 8.14 is that believers are primarily guided by the Spirit through faith in order to kill sin and live as children of God. And, and you think about that. If, if we were people who were having our entire lives transformed by grace and overflowing by grace and the killing of sin, that we loved God more than our sin, that we loved God more than anything else, think about how that would impact your choices. Right? Huge impact. We would make every decision in light of being a child of God, not every decision in light of how much money we can make, how, how, how much worldly stuff we could have, how good we would look in front of other people. No, we would make decisions in light of, it, does this help me to kill sin? Does this help to see me be conformed to the image of God? Does this help glorify God? Does this help further my walk with God? Not how much money is this going to put in my bank account? How much fame can I get? The Spirit was not given to you to gratify you. Is there joy in following the Spirit? 100%, but it comes in aligning our lives under the Lordship of Christ, not isolated from Christ. That's the challenge. Even the Spirit Himself says, you know, He came to testify to Christ, to lead us to Christ. And, and who we are in Christ is to be paramount to all these other decisions. And, and think about it. If, if God was preeminent in our lives, if we, if we were living and seeking to do everything to the glory of God, do you think it really matter where you lived? Do you think it matter what job, what house you were in, as much as the fact that you were pursuing Christ in that home, that you were making much of Christ in that job, that you were making much of Christ wherever you were? The challenge, is, the challenge is this. I don't believe that God cares as much about where you are as much as who you are, where you're at. I think God cares more about the who you are than the where you are. And I think all throughout Scripture, Paul says, eat whatever you eat, whatever set before you to do it to the glory of God. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. If anyone invites you to eat and you want to go eat, 1 Corinthians 10, go eat with them. If you don't want to eat, don't eat with them. But do it to the glory of God. God cares more about who we are. Because again, just like with my kids, the who they are is going to affect the what they do. Because I'm not going to be with them every moment at school. But guess what's going to determine their decision at school? The who they are. When they're away from me, guess what's going to guide them? The who they are. What they value. What they place importance on. That's the challenge. And God's Spirit has been given us to, to remind us that we are children of God, but to kill sin. 
moral transformation to conform us to the image of God, the killing of sin, helping us to live in light of who we are as children of God, to wage war on our sin. And our lives, listen, our lives are simply evidence of whether that's happening or not. You go to Galatians 5, we won't go there, but Galatians 5, 19, the fruit of the flesh is, right after he says, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, he goes on to say, but the fruit of the flesh is, lists them all. And then he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is, the point he's making is you look at your life, look at the fruit of your life, and you'll be able to tell who's leading, flesh or spirit. You'll tell who's dominating. And our lives prove who's leading. And, and Paul is saying, listen, live in light of who you are in Christ. God, in this, with the Spirit, with the gift of the Spirit, He is empowering your character, your old nature, to be transformed into the new nature. And that's what that fill in. In sanctification, you, the yielding to the, and yielding of the Spirit, our Father is transforming our character to match His character. He has taken adopted, He is adopting sinners, and He is transforming their character into the righteousness that He's credited them with. He's taking your, your character, and He's transforming it into His character. That's sanctification. And that call, that's where the call in 1 Peter 1.15, for instance, to, in 1 Peter 1.15, it says, You therefore be holy. Why? Finish the sentence. Because your Father is holy. Why be holy, believer? Because your Father is holy. He's quoting a Levit Leviticus 11.44. Same thing. Be holy. Why be holy? Because your heavenly Father is holy. And, and you see it in your handout. God has always demanded that his people be set apart from all else and display his character. You go all the way back to Genesis 1. We were created to be representatives. We were created to be image bearers of our creator. Sin has distorted that. It's marred that. It's hindered that. It's, it's enabled that. And what God is doing in salvation, he is recreating that. He's restoring that. In sanctification, he's restoring the image of him in you. And you think about it. You know, Bradley and Sarah Grace, they're, they're our natural-born children. They look like Karen and I and naturally act like us. Many of you in here have adopted children, and, and they won't physically look like you. But as they spend time with you, guess what they do? They begin to behave like you. They begin to take on your character. They begin to take on your nature. They begin to take on your, your likes and your dislikes and all that. How do they do that? Through spending time with you. Through fellowshipping with you. And it happens naturally. You don't, say, you don't necessarily say to them, it's just through spending time with them. And the same way, guys, as gals, as we fellowship with the Lord, as we sit under His Word, our nature... Begins to look like his nature. Our character begins to be conformed to his character. But it only happens as we walk by the Spirit. It only happens as we sit under the Word. You've got to be in the Word. That's why Colossians 3.16, let the Word richly dwell within you. Because whatever dwells richly in you controls you. And that must involve, that must involve killing of sin. Because it doesn't line up with God's character. And why fight? Why fight and not yield to sin and instead yield to the Spirit? Paul says it, because you are sons and daughters of God. And in salvation, listen, God is conforming you to the image of His Son. We'll look ahead, Romans 8, 29. He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Please see that. He didn't save you so that you could just miss hell. He saved you so that you'd be a representative here on earth. 
He saved you and is transforming you so that when people see you, they see him. All of us probably have had times in lives where our parents' friends will come up to us and they'll say, you look so much like your daddy, or you look so much like your mama. That's the point. Hey, Chris, why do you live like that? Because it represents my heavenly father. Hey, so, so, so why, why you live like that? Because it represents my heavenly father. God is restoring that original creation. And he's doing it through the spirit. And you see it in your hand now. God's ultimate purpose in salvation is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ as his children. And listen, in this, do you think about, do you think about the assurance, what it does to a child when their parents' friends come up to them and say, hey, you look so much like your daddy, or you look so much like your mama. Do you think about the assurance that that gives that child. And, and what Paul is saying here, as we see our lives, as we're led by the Spirit, and we see our lives become more and more like our Heavenly Father's character, more and more aligned with the Word, in that we find assurance. In that, again, the Spirit assures us of this. Why is that happening? Because it's the Spirit doing it. As our lives, again, because we, it assures us that we are being led by the Spirit to kill sin and align our character with our fathers. It gives us assurance. It's proof. But listen, the opposite is true as well. Disobedience and a lack of transformation can kill assurance. Not seeing your character aligned with the heavenly... Uh, you know, it kills assurance. And again, those do not be deceived. Those who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God to kill sin. Sin cannot be at home. And that's a work of the Spirit. But also to transform our character as sons and daughters. But that involves the killing of sin. They're not going to dwell together. And look at 8.15. For you, he's building. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You see it in a handout. Second point. Through faith in Christ and his work in the gospel, sinners are adopted into God's family and can now approach God intimately as their father. That's what Paul is saying here. And this flows naturally from the designation in 14 as sons. Not only does the Spirit empower us to kill sin, not only does it assure us that God is our Father, but as we grasp those, it allows us to create intimacy with the Father. As we become more and more like our Father, Heavenly Father, and, he, and, and we begin to see Him more and more in us... The intimacy increases. And again, through salvation, we become adopted children of God. John, uh, Daniel put the verse up there, John 1, 12. For as many as believed in him, he gave the right to be children of God. In the gospel, through faith in the gospel, you become a child of God. And, 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 and there needs to be some clarity here in verse 15. And you see it on your handout. I tried to word it there. I, I tried to word it simply, but I couldn't word it in a way that hopefully we get the point across to be sure. Again, don't, what I'm getting at is this. People see this sons and they think, okay, well, I'm not a slave anymore. Well, the Bible uses a lot of illustrations to paint who we are in relationship to God. As a child, what, what, does, the, what does the word of God say as a child in Ephesians 6? Children, what your parents? Obey. Slaves obey their masters. So don't think for one second when you say children, oh, you still have to obey. That's what I'm getting at. And we can say, oh, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm a child. So no, you still have to obey. But you obey as a child to the father, not as a slave to a master. Right? That's what he's getting at. We don't obey out of the fear like a slave would. We obey as a child to the Father. I mean, you think about it. If, if 
Bradley and Sarah Grace obeyed Karen and I because they were afraid we were going to throw them out every time they disobeyed. That wouldn't be a good way to live as a child. That's why Paul starts out, hear me, Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 eliminates that possibility. There is therefore now no condemnation. Go enjoy being a child, but obey. Not out of fear. Not out of fear wondering, if is he going to throw me out? Is he going to take away his salvation? Is he going to do, no, obey as a child with a father who loves them and has already said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we, we ought to have a healthy fear. Listen, growing up, I had a healthy fear of my father. If I messed up, listen, I was going to get a spanking. There was a healthy fear there. I have a phenomenal mother and father. They were not afraid to discipline me. And listen, I did dumb stuff and got disciplined a lot. They have video to prove it. I mean, don't think for one second this lowers the responsibility to obey. Being a child of God actually increases the demand on our obedience. It's just that you don't relate to God as a harsh slave master. You relate to God as a loving father and someone who has been graciously adopted into his family. And what Paul is putting forth here is the sense of security that you experience through the gospel as sons. And in order to help paint this picture, you know, when we think of adoption, we think of a lot of things, but Paul wrote this in a context that had very specific um, context of adoption. And you see it on your handout. I want to help you see this because, again, it, with the idea of helping us be assured, adoption in Paul's day, you see it on your handout, involved the granting, the granting upon a child all the rights and privileges of a natural child. You were given all the rights and privileges of a natural child. And, and listen to some, 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 listen to what the child got, the blessings that they received with their adoption, and, and let this wash over you, and let this change your assurance. Let this take your assurance of who you are to a whole new level. The adopt, you see it, A, the adopted person lost all rights to their old family and gained all the rights of a legitimate child in their new family with a new father. You see the idea of realm transfer. I think we would understand that. When you adopt a child, you take that child out of one realm and you put them in another realm. And they gain a family. And they gain all the rights of the new family. B, the adopted person, listen to this, became a co-heir of their new father's estate regardless of any natural-born children before or after their adoption. Co-heir. Hey, this person's been in the family for 20 years. You've only been in the family two years. Dad dies. Co-heir. Three natural-born children before you. You're adopted. Three after you. Co-heir. Divided seven ways. Co-heir. Listen to this. The old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. Clean. Listen. Every, this included your debts. That, that remi- I mean, this is, that reminds me of, of, of the gospel in Colossians chapter 2 when he says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Listen, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Do you grasp that? When, when you were adopted, he forgave you all your debts. You're not trying to work it off. You're not paying it back. The, the adopted child was regarded as an entirely new person. That reminds me of 2 Corinthians. For as many as are in Christ, you are a new... If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Do you see yourself this way? D, in the eyes of the law, the adopted child was absolutely the son of the new father. There was no questions. The theme of every single one of those things 
is this, security and assurance. Change of realm, change of status that cannot be revoked. And listen, the law never offered that. You were always left wondering if you had done enough, if you were good enough. In adoption, Paul can write, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what, what, understand even the sense of adoption. It, go to Galatians 4 real quick, and I'll, verses 1 through 10, to see the beauty of what God is doing in salvation. Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 10. This is talking about sonship, and he has just said what the, the law became our tutor to lead us to Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're, a, then you're a descendant, you're an heir, okay? You're an heir according to promise. This isn't about you working, this is about God being faithful what he said he would do. Paul then writes, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, okay? So when you're a child, when the, child, the, son, the father had a son who was a child, he would assign a slave of his to raise that child. Why? Because that child of his was an heir to his estate. He was under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, this is the connection, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive what? The adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Same thing we see in Romans 8. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then what? An heir. However, at the time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by which are no gods. But now, you see the contrast, the realm transfer, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that I have perhaps labored in vain. Here's the point. Put, you are a child of God. You have been adopted. Okay, no matter what comes the rest of your life, you are secure in Christ. All right, God chose you. Again, we, we, we hate to hear those words, some of us in here, God chose you. And, and, but we, we lose power, we lose security. I'm not negating human responsibility, but I'm also not negating God's sovereignty either. And, and adoption depicts this. Even rooted in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, he says that God chose Israel, who was the least likely of choice. God chose them simply to be his children. In 9.4 9, of Romans, we'll see that. But what is God doing? This is the context of sanctification. This is the context of growing up. Why I grew up in Christ? Because you're an heir to the world. God is raising you up. So that you will be able to handle his business on his behalf. See that. See the need to grow up in Christ. To mature. No one had a claim on God's mercy. No one can make a claim that they deserve God's mercy. And yet God has given his mercy. And F.F. Bruce, listen to what it says about the term adoption as sons. This is about in the Roman world of Paul's day. Listen to this. In the Roman world of the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father, listen, to perpetuate his name and to inherit his estate. He was no whit inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and, listen, and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. Why? Why might an adopted son pursue that character and love of the father more than a natural-born son? What did you say? Gratitude. Thank you, Chris. When, when you see what you were, when you grasp what you were, and yet God's mercy has been given to you, gratitude. 
And this is the intimacy of what is pictured in the term Abba Father. We saw that also in Galatians 4. Again, in Mark 14, 36, Jesus himself used that phrase to refer to God. What does this teach us? You see it in your handout. That our, you believer can experience with God as Father, the intimacy you can experience is comparable to that which Christ experienced. You could put equal in there. Why? Because you're a co-heir. You're a son. But, but see the context. If you, you can only experience that intimacy if you hate your sin and fight your sin. You can't be at home with your sin. You can't be casual with your sin. You can't try to love all the things of this world and then try to love all the things of God at the same time and experience the intimacy as God's son. You can't do it. And God has put his spirit in us to fight that. But we've got to yield to that spirit. We've got to, to not grieve or quench that spirit. You see both and here. What God has done, the indicative, sets the context for what we must do, the imperative. You're a full member of God's family, full partaker of all the divine privileges. Do you live in light of that? Does that guide your decisions every day? Not living apart from the Spirit, apart from God, but then when it comes to these big decisions, monumental decisions, oh, let me try to get holy real quick. Let me get spiritual real quick. Let, let, me, go, let me go to my father, who I haven't really related to in the last six months. Let me go to him real quick and ask his wisdom real quick. No, that's not the way it was meant to be. Walk by the Spirit daily. Uh, allow the fact that you're adopted by God to overwhelm you every day. Interpret everything in your life through that new status. That God is attentive and He is aware of you as His child. It is a settled relationship. Not as slaves. We obey Him. Not as slaves. We relate to Him and obey to Him as sons and daughters. Adopted sons and daughters. Intimacy. Abba Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. You see it in your handout number three. Not only does the Spirit fight sin and assure us of our adoption as children of God, but the Spirit creates in believers a sense of intimacy with God the Father. Think about this. What do you do when you testify to something? You simply bear witness to a fact. And you see it in a handout. What this teaches us is that the Spirit reminds and informs our spirit of who we are through Christ. Reminds and informs. And, and this is seen through intimacy. Again, it's seen as you see your life being conformed to the image of the Word. When you see new likes, when you see new tastes, when you see new character, when you begin to love the things that God loves... That's intimacy. And, and again, through time spent fellowshipping. That's why we looked at John 15, abide. And, and this is what I was getting at last week when I, when I talked about watching Bradley's golf or, or coaching Sarah's soccer team or, or all these things. Think about this, intimacy. Or, you know, suppose, suppose you ask my children, hey, is that guy up there, is that your dad? And suppose they said, well, uh... My mom showed me a DNA test that said he was. But well, how do you think that'd make me feel? Hey, prove to me that that's your dad. And they said, oh, well, all I can do is I can just show you this DNA test. Listen, the DNA test is true. Don't get me wrong. But, but wouldn't a better answer be that if Sarah Grace and Bradley said, hey, well, he, he loves me through his actions. He's there every day. He tucks me in at night. He makes us milkshakes at night. That'd be Sarah Grace's number one answer. That's all she needs. Like, my role as her father hinges on whether I do that at night or not. Good or bad. Like, that's all she needs. Hey, he comes to my concerts. He comes to my golf matches. You know, we, we, he studies the Bible with me. He provides daily for the needs of our family. He spends time with us. Relation. Listen, bottom line, intimacy through actions. That would be a far greater testimony. Those things give my kids far greater assurance that I love them and I'm their father than just simply a DNA test. 
and communing with God on a daily basis, studying the Word, praying the Word, fellowshipping with other believers, going through life with knowing that God is your Father, that creates a far greater testimony that He's your Father than simply a test. Simply words on a page. Not that these aren't powerful. But, but spending time with Him daily, communing daily, abiding daily. Listen, if I was only home once a month to do those things once a month, that would have far less impact on my children than if I, was, and I did that stuff with them every night, right? Am I their father? Yeah, but they, yes, regardless. But they won't feel it. They won't experience the blessing of it. And it's the same with you and I. We can't negate the word. Meeting here with other believers can't be optional. Praying can't be only when we can't do things on our own. Memorizing the word, all those things, when we neglect those, here's what I'm saying. You're killing your intimacy with the Father. You're killing your sense of certainty and assurance that He is your Father. Because think about it, if I did not want to do any of those things with my children, how would that make them feel? It would kill their assurance. And the Spirit, you see it in your hand, though, the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are God's adopted children. He reminds us, no matter what we face, not as slaves, but children. And this is not man-made, this is God-made. And, and that spirit generates love for God, not some dry external obedience. And it comes through intimacy. And you see it on your hand now, through the power of the spirit, we begin to embrace God and his promises as our own as we feel assured of them no matter what we face. And this primarily involves the putting away of sin. Listen, sin will always kill your intimacy with the Father. No, no less than my unfaithfulness would kill my intimacy with Karen, right? It always it kills intimacy. God, the Spirit is not going to feel at home in our lives and, we're, and, and when at the same time we want sin to feel at home in our lives. It's not going to happen. And the Spirit, again, testifies to our spirit. God has put His Spirit in you to remind you. To tell your spirit, you're a child of God. To, at the very least, a Christian ought to be uncomfortable with their sin. Because this is the Spirit's job. To testify, this is not in line with who you are as my child. Lastly, verse 17. Again, all of this goes around security and assurance. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if, here's the bad news, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Most people stop at the comma of 17. You see number four, as God's adopted children, we are promised an inheritance but it will only come through suffering and perseverance to God's glory. You know, think about this. What must happen in order for somebody to hand down an inheritance? Somebody's got to die. And again, this ties in with the Old Testament. It ties in with God's faithfulness to His promises. You, you go all the way back to Romans 4, Abraham, it says with, he did not waver with regards to God's promises. He did waver with regards to his own body. Where, where is our assurance? Where is our certainty built? It's built on God's promises. It's built on the fact that God is faithful. You see that as well in Galatians 3. What Abraham built his life around God's promises. Listen, there is an inheritance you look at Psalm 24, 1, God owns everything in the world. You are, inherit, you are an heir of that, a co-heir to everything. But only if you belong to Christ. 
in, in faith through Christ, you become Abraham's seed. That's Galatians 3.29. This is why adoption is so huge. You're grafted into God's family. And in Romans 4.13, Abraham's inheritance, Paul says, was the whole world. You see it in your hand now. What this means is that the believer's inheritance consists of everything that God owns and has promised. That, again, that's why sanctification is such a big deal. God is creating in you a person that is ready to inherit the inheritance. That's why sanctification is such a big deal for you to manage on God's behalf. And yet, that's the good news, but what does Paul say it will only come through? Suffering. And you see it on your handout. Paul states that those who are to be co-heirs with Christ in the future must suffer with him in a hostile world as we wait. Paul, this verse is a transitional verse. He, he is setting you up for what he's about to say in Romans 18, specifically through 25. And, and for some reason, again, you've got to neglect the entirety of the word to believe the prosperity gospel. Just I, I'm telling you, that's a, you say, how dare you say that? You've got to ignore the, I'll say it again, you've got to ignore the entirety of the word to believe the prosperity gospel. I mean, I think about, and I would, I would write these down, Bible Fellowship, or that's Idlewild, sorry, Grow Group Teachers, Luke 9, 23, write it down, talk about it in your class. 2 Timothy 3, 12, for all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Philippians 1, 29, write it down, talk about it. It has been granted to you not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his name. Philippians 3, 10, write it down. It, is not, it has been granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer. He goes, I rejoice, 310. I rejoice not only in the sufferings, but in the, or not only in the resurrection, but the fellowship of his sufferings. Talk about it. But li- listen to what Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 4, 12, and how this ties in. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you before your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Listen to what he says. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that you also, at the revelation of his glory, you may receive with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What's the proof? Suffering. Willingness to suffer. He says, make sure you don't suffer as being an evildoer. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify in his name. You see it on your hand. Our sanctification comes through, and, and our glorification comes through suffering. And, and even our own Savior. Go to Philippians 2. Talk about that in your classes. Jesus' glorification came through suffering. Even in Romans 5, what we saw. We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the what? The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See how it connects. Willingness, you see it on your handout. Willingness to suffer for Christ proves that He is what we're really hoping in. And if He's not what you're hoping in, you're not going to suffer for Him. Daily anxieties, struggles, persecution, all that comes in the world. Believer, you're not exempted from those. You're assured in the midst of those. And again, Philippians 3, look at it. You actually grow in intimacy through those. And all of Scripture, you will only, you see it, be glorified. You will see it on your hand. You will only be glorified to Christ if you're willing to suffer with Christ. And the Spirit equips and empowers you to do that. And and again, that's the transition to 118, to 818, because what does Paul say? I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming. Hope. The entirety of the next section of Scripture, he is saying hope in Christ alone. No matter what comes, hope in Christ alone. As children... Not as slaves, 
And J.I. Packer, and I'll close with this. J.I. Packer said this, and I think it's immensely, I think it's immensely true, immensely important. Listen up as you close your Bibles. Listen up. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their whole outlook on life, this person does not understand Christianity very well. Strong statement. But I think it's true. You, want, you, you go through life with very little thought of God as your father, then you don't grasp Christianity very well. You go through life living, living autonomous of God as your father, listen, you don't understand Christianity very well. Christianity is about God becoming your father through the forgiveness of your sins, about him adopting you. And we have God as Father. Why would we live? I think about even, we ought to close, but I think about even Isaiah 8, 12, where in 1 Peter 3, 15, but set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. The verse very before that deals with fearing man and not fearing God. And that is a quote of Isaiah 8, 12. And I, I, God is rebuking his people because they're fearing and living exactly as the world loves, even lives, even though they have God as their Father. Why, why would we live the way the world lives if, God, if you really grasp that God is your father? I mean, it would be about as silly as, as if, I don't even know if Bill Gates has children, but imagine if he had children and his son or daughter says, you know what, I, I'd like to start up a business, but I'm not sure if I have the money to do it. Bill Gates is your father. Go take a risk. I think you got it. I think it'll cover for you. Now, I'm not saying go be dumb, but I am saying go live in faith and take risks for God, knowing he's your father and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And no matter what happens, when you live by faith, it may not go well for you, but it doesn't mean you're condemned. That's the point. Go take risks and love your neighbor and share the gospel with your neighbor, even invite him to church. And if they hate you for it, listen to me, you're not condemned. Go share the gospel with your friends at school. And if they ostracize you, here's the good news. It proves you're a child of God. And better than that, it proves you're not condemned. Go be a lighthouse in your sports world. And if they ostracize you, guess what? You, the present sufferings do not compare to the glory that is to be revealed in you. It's not that we won't suffer. It's that our suffering can't touch the fact that we're children. Listen, that's an inheritance that no other religion offers. They don't even try because it's absurd, except it's true. And yet we live as if it weren't true. If we're honest. I pray that these four verses, if we would be mindful of these, and if we would really internalize these, I guarantee you it would change your life for the glory of God.